0: podcast of the intentism movement. The name is a response to the debate around author intent and I think this debate is the most important debate of our times. Does it matter what the author intends when he writes, he paints, he discusses things in text? Intentists are writers, we're poets, we're artists, we're photographers we're actors, we're philosophers, but we all share one belief. We all believe that all meaning is the imperfect outworking of our intention. I'll say it again. All meaning is the out, imperfect outworking of intention. And I'll unpack this a little bit later on because there are some parts of that that might be a little bit confusing. But we want to say that the bridge between intention in the mind and its outworking is a valid one and should not be discounted for many reasons including some ethical and moral considerations. Let me give you an example from real life. Two analogous events. After a violent altercation two men in Glasgow run over a 39 year old man leaving him for dead. An OAP fails to see a pedestrian and knocks him down. A man, incensed over unrequited love, tracks down the object of his desires and shoots her dead. A woman from Cape Town shoots and kills her attacker during an attempted rape. All real events. All tragic events. But should they be treated equally terrible. In law, distinctions are made on the perpetrator's intentions and they were made in these four instances. Intention is important in law and we believe it's important in the humanities, in the arts, in written texts, in essays. We maintain further that killing intention and the demise of the author can leave art anemic and leave it indifferent. And we believe a lot of that has been seen recently in the art world. We write about theory and we create artworks. We have various painters, various photographers, various poets. We have a filmmaking arm And we also have philosophers in some of the most well-known institutions. We have debated and discussed this in some of the main academic institutions in the world. We've had a panel debate several years ago at the Royal College of Art. We've interviewed very many people from all areas in this spectrum, including Norm Chomsky, the very famous linguistic professor of MIT. It's time in our eyes to resurrect the author. My name is Victoria Pelosi, and I'm the founder and host of this show. The Intentists have a website at www.intentism.org. Please check it out. We've written many books that you can get from Amazon and from other websites and bookshops. We've got videos. Well over 200 videos on YouTube, including over 50 intentist bites, which are short snippets of our theory, no more than two minutes long. Very accessible, very easy to understand, going through the vast majority of the ideas behind the movement. And we've held several exhibitions. We've campaigned and protested and held demonstrations. We held a demonstration outside Tate Modern a few years ago and got forcibly removed when we were not uh, inciting any violence at all. That is on YouTube as well. Secondly, why have a podcast now? Well, the main reason is we want to keep you abreast of everything related to intentionalism. That could be intentionalism in the news, things that relate to why intention and authorship matters. It could be related to theory, past and present theory, that echo in what's going on today. But we also want to have interviews and share some of the exciting, amazing, Intentious Art that we're creating at the moment. The format of the show, there'll be four segments. The first one is, Can I Have Your Intention, Please? And that will keep you abreast of intention in the news. And there's a lot of it. Secondly, Critical Corner. And that will be a short spot on the importance of critical thinking and theory in relationship to Intentionalism. We look at all the major thinkers, we look at people like Wimsad and Beardsley that wrote The Intentional Fallacy, we look at people like Roland Barthes, Michel Foucault, and Jacques Derrida, and we discuss those theories and whether they shed light on the issues or whether we need to try and discuss where there are flaws in them. Thirdly, each show will have Practice Makes Imperfect, and Practice Makes Imperfect will look at examples of intentist art. And how intentist art can be the imperfect manifestation of the artist's intention. Sufficient enough for the intention to be a valid part of the puzzle in understanding the artist's work. It sounds relatively uh, simple and not controversial, but it really is. We contacted uh, a few years ago well over 90 art critics in England and elsewhere, talking about our art theory. And every one of them was hostile that contacted us. Many didn't. And uh, you may think that it's something that would be uh, what would be the acceptable norm, a status quo, but it isn't. And it has many very serious ramifications to do with an artist's freedom to be able to produce work and responsibility and accountability not just in the arts, but in communication, in how this world works, in how we understand each other. Lastly, keep watch, the fourth part of each show. Keep watch will be a short teaser for the next podcast. So keep watching, keep listening. Let's kick off then. Can I have your intention, please? In a recent edition of New Scientist magazine, there was an article called The Earliest Storyteller's Cave Paintings in Indonesia. And in it, it was revealing ancient artists that were depicting imagined scenes 20,000 years earlier than was previously thought. Very interesting for a number of reasons first of all what was painted was from the imagination so it wasn't just things they'd seen it was thoughts thoughts that were evolved and articulate 20,000 years earlier than before things outside nature and they were showing half-human and half-animal figures. The writer of the New Scientist magazine said that these figures gave a glimpse into the minds of the people who created them. Makes sense. What was particularly important was that the, art, the article concerned chiefly who the people were from Indonesia and what they meant in the work who the people were and what they meant. The authorship of the work and the intention behind it. You see, we all, we all want to know what the intentions are in ancient artwork. We all want to know why that's there, who put it there. What were the people like that did that? So we understand that particular culture. It helps us to understand the people and the environment they grew up in. But in recent artwork, Roland Barthes kick-started it by writing a book in 1967 called The Death of the Author. Michel Foucault then wrote What is an auteur? What is an author? The author had died, and in the modern art world, we're told we don't want to know about the author, we don't want to know his biography, We certainly don't want to know his intentions. So why are we so short-sighted that we think that people won't want to know the origin of our artwork in a thousand years' time? We want to know it now for the people 20,000 years ago in Indonesia. Why don't we think people want to know about our artwork, our creative endeavors, what made us human 20,000 years from today. Saying our artwork is just equally valid for people to come and have a look at it and have subjective interpretations are all sufficiently okay there's no wrong interpretation you're not interested in the author, you're not interested in the background the mind of the author, the intentions, the period that he was working in I think that that will not be adequate for the viewers in the future. I think it will be unjust for our future descendants and short-sighted as artists ourselves because artwork is primarily a creative external gesture to the world. You see, we all have thoughts, we all create things and they are chiefly internal. The majority of our thoughts stay there. But sometimes we externalize them. And sometimes we externalize them, but we want to keep them secret. Maybe it might be some code words, um, like Samuel Pepys' diary was all in code. But then sometimes we want to show this to the world. And our external gesture to the world is made in a text, in a painting, in a photograph. It's human mind to the world of other human minds. A human gesture and our ancestors will want to know our descendants rather will want to know what we were doing why we were doing it what made us tick and i think it'd be foolish to think they won't let's move on to critical corner at critical corner we'll look at a little bit more theory and how this uh, affects how we understand artwork perhaps today And in the New Scientist magazine, the same article, I just want to emphasize a little bit. The writer said that cave paintings give us a glimpse into the minds of the people who created the Indonesian art. And the expression gives us a glimpse is what I want to focus on now. It's very interesting. It gives us a glimpse of the minds of those who created the Indonesian art. Rene Dekar, many, many years ago, spoke of the separation between the body and the mind. Cartesian dualism, it came to be known. And it's been discussed ever since. How can we understand the mind truly? How can a body of work reveal a hidden mind? If it's hidden, it must remain hidden. As soon as an idea, an internal idea, is manifest in the world and it's no longer mental, It's the work. So it has no relationship to the mind. It's only the work. The mind is always entirely internal. The work is always entirely external. So why link the two? It's confusing and it's impossible to get to. And maybe, by definition, it's not related to the mind because it manifests in the world. So why not focus on the work we see? Secondly, related to this, how can we get to the mind anyway? The writer, the artist may be deceased, so you can't interview them. We can't ask them questions. Moreover, even if you could see their diaries, see their sketches, interview them specifically about their intentions, do they know what they were doing? Do we all understand ourselves entirely? Well, if Rene Descartes looked at the separation of mind and body, There was doubt in people's ideas and their minds, related to how we understand our our understanding and our mind, our hidden thought processes, for many people, but particularly most famously, Freud, in dreams from 1900 and then from then onwards. There's a lot to say about this. Do we truly understand ourselves sufficiently to be able to explain our artwork, to understand what we're doing anyway? There are many intentist approaches to this, because it is an important dilemma, we need to understand these things. If we don't understand these things, then we need to pack our bags. Intentists truly believe the answer is out there. We're truly trying to understand whether there's a scientific model or how do we understand what works mean, whether they're essays, shopping lists, poems, paintings. We need to try and wrestle with these theories. One intentist approach is to separate cause and meaning. Roland Barth rightly said, in his seminal work death of the author that every work has innumerable points of origin how do you know what your work means are you the origin of it well your thoughts may be inspired by your father your family your upbringing your school uh, time at school your your friends might be influenced by the generation you live in might be influenced by the culture you belong to it might be influenced by the books you've read. There are innumerable points of origin, and you won't know the vast majority of those. Not only uh, will you not be able to understand how they all pack together, not will you only, not only be the, uh, the sole point of reference, but you won't even know these references. There's too many of them. Innumerable points of reference. Ronald Barth also said in the same work that all writing are textiles of quotations. So anything you see are just, anything you read are just multiple quotations mixed together and then spewed out by the, 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 the person, the, the person who pens the work, who, who paints the, the, the painting. We often talk about this or something similar to this as intertextuality, that all texts are interconnected because there's nothing that's unique and there's nothing that's set apart. Well, one way of looking at this, because it's an interesting dilemma and it's something that needs to be addressed, is this we can separate cause and meaning. We can separate cause and meaning. What do I mean by that? Well, the causes might be everything that Roland Barthes mentioned. So, for example, if uh, Hitler, or a particularly uh, well-known person that's done all sorts of uh, deeds that are Horrific. If Hitler had an abused upbringing and was physically, sexually, emotionally, mentally abused, they may have impacted his political ambitions. So you could say that maybe his ideas to rule Europe, even the final solution. His horrendous policies related to the Jewish question, maybe the causes of all of that were because of his upbringing. But Hitler identified an Aryan race. What was the meaning behind his ideas politically? The meaning was the outworking of his intention. That he believed in an Aryan race and he believed the Jews were not part of that. That would be the meaning. The causes behind the work would be separate and would include all the innumerable, mostly unconscious influences of his whole life. That's one way, and many intentists follow that. There are other ways, and many other artists and philosophers think about it in a different way. Um, Professor Paisley Livingston, a very famous Canadian philosopher, he wrote a book called um, Art and Intention. He described intention in a very, very useful way. And he would explain it in a slightly different way because he would believe that certain intentions fail. Not all intentions succeed. And he'd also say that some intentions are unconscious. So he would probably include some of the causes that we mentioned that are unconscious as part of his, uh, his definition of intention and a performance expectation is his definition of intention and it's a very, very good one. Remember, intent is believe. All meaning is the imperfect outworking of intention. What does that mean? Well, it means that you have an intention and you realise that's internal. You outwork it into the world. It becomes a gesture, manifests in the world. Outwork. So intention is not meaning because it's not in the public domain yet. You create something, and you're outworking the intention. That's still not the meaning. But it will be imperfectly realized. It will never be perfectly realized. But the meaning is found there in not the intention, but the imperfect realization of that in the world. And there will be that bridge that we can trace back, however imperfectly, to intention. Okay, third, let's look at some intent to start and we'll put up uh, on, the, on the screen so you can have a look at the example of the work we talk about. Well, practice makes imperfect. That's, as we were suggesting before, an example that all our work is the imperfect manifestation of our intention. Practice makes imperfect. What have we got this week for you? Well, a helpful example of what we are talking about with uh, intention and cause. Let's give you something to help you with that, something concrete. Well, child's art. Let's think about children drawing for a, a moment or two. And let's think of a thought experiment. If you can imagine a child drawing a picture of his or her mother, but it looks like a monster. And the child says here you go mother here is a lovely drawing of you now what is the uh, the question of meaning the epistemological question there is the drawing or the picture a monster because it looks like a monster or a mother if the work's meaning is solely in the work which would be influenced by the new critics which we'll look at in the future the new critics said that meaning is in the work alone and even if we could understand perfectly the intention of the author that would not be valid and useful in understanding the meaning of the work. So if the meaning is in the work alone, surely we need to understand that the work is of a monster. If we maintain intention doesn't matter the author is dead. So in our thought experiment would that be a valid interpretation? Should the mother say to the child, that's not me, that's not me. Son or daughter, why are you saying that's of me? That's a monster. That would be the logical outworking of that position. Some people that follow intentionalism would have a somewhat similar understanding of that work to the new critics they wouldn't say that the work is a sole place where meaning resides but we, there are certain people that call themselves moderate intentionalists and they would say that the intention can fail in a work that intention to meaning bridge has been broken that's a possibility the intention matters but here it's failed other intentists will say that the mother has every right to assume that this work is of her and to say to her child thank you thank you son thank you daughter for drawing a picture of me maybe that child or that daughter will learn to draw better as she gets older and in some ways their intentions will sit more closely with the work and how it's how it appears and what it looks like but for now there's a big disparity but nevertheless the mother says i understand what you intended and for me that's good enough Thank you, son. Thank you, daughter. That picture is of me. And There you go. That would be the separation of how we understand these things. That the outworking, even if it's out perfect, imperfect of intention, is the meaning. And it clearly was very imperfect. But the meaning is still valid. The bridge has still not been broken. Here you go. There's an example of uh, some intended artwork that makes a point of what we've been talking about. Okay. Lastly, then, thank you so much for ju- uh, joining us. Thank you so much for uh, listening and watching, whether it's uh, audio on the podcast or on YouTube. Uh, keep watch. Coming up next time. Well, we're going to have a look at an article from philosoph- philosophy. In- Uh, Philosophy Now which is an amazing magazine, it's a UK magazine if I'm not uh, much mistaken about uh, philosophy and in it we'll be discussing Klein's understanding that his art meant the ecstasy of pure experience and the problems that this holds. If an artist like Klein said his artwork the meaning of it is solely and simply and uniquely the ecstasy of pure experience there are problems to that. There are semantic problems, epistemological problems, and we can weigh those and look at those through the, the lens of intentist theory. We'll also look at some other intensist artwork too that I'll be very excited to share with you. But that's it. That's the end of our first show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe and like these videos. It will mean a lot to us. We'll have interviews with other intentist artists in the near future, with other philosophers, people that disagree with us. Comment below with thoughts and anything you want to see discussed. We have other videos that we mentioned earlier on that include over 50 intentist bites, short, often animated videos describing uh, theory and ideas behind intentism. They're all two minutes or less, so they won't take up much time to watch. Please check them out. And please check out our website that has more on our theories, more interviews with various people, um, videos of our, uh, our artwork, pictures of our artwork, um, debates, many, many things there, many, many links as well to people that subscribe to our theory and don't. And that is www.intentism.org. Thank you again for watching. See you soon, and goodbye.